The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. Uh, This is the newscast for episode 135 for the week of September 30th. Um, Again, I am introducing the show, so that means that Rob is not here. Uh, This week, I have a special guest co-host, Chris Triolo. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Alex. How's it going? Uh, It's going well. Can you believe it's almost October, Chris? I mean, like fall is here. Yeah, you know, something I realized is that this is my second time on the program. It was actually one year ago today. Well, maybe not today, but within a week or two when I co-hosted with you. Wow, I did not even realize that. That's pretty cool. It was Denver Startup Week. Yeah. It was either the week of or the week after. And uh, here we are one year later. Also, um, you know, Chris, you were on this podcast, but you were on an even uh, bigger podcast this week. Yes. So I want to tell our viewers about that. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to uh, speak with Patrick Gray from the Risky Business Podcast. Uh, I did a segment that they call uh, Snake Oilers, which is where they spend a few minutes with uh, three different security vendors to talk about their products. And so I got uh, a segment uh, there. Um, It was during, uh, on that segment, they also had uh, Richard Baitlick uh, was, was the first yeah presenter which i thought was kind of cool to be included with richard he's that is cool he's the luminary a uh, yeah he's like the godfather of exactly intrusion analysis right he's that is that is pretty cool and he did a great job uh risky business is uh, one of my favorite non-colorado based security podcasts um always listen to that so anyway uh back to our podcast so uh, before we jump into the news we of course have some announcements Uh, We have a Slack channel. If you aren't on the Slack channel, we're almost at 1,100 people in the Slack channel. It's uh, it's pretty amazing what goes on in there. Uh, So you definitely should join that. Go uh, check out colorado-security.com. Click on the Slack channel button there and you can join. Um, It is completely open for anyone in Colorado interested in security. We also have a mailing list at the bottom of the page. Um, Go to colorado-security.com, put in your email address, hit submit. You will get the show notes in your email every week when we release them. You will be the first to know about a new podcast and have all the details right there. We'd also love it if you would please rate us and subscribe to the podcast in whatever uh, podcast tool you use, however you subscribe. Um, Also, please tell a friend. Spread that word around about Colorado Vehicle Security. Uh, Let them know all the great stuff that's going on and why they should listen and uh, tune in and check out the website. If you want to uh, help us with a monetary donation, uh, we have a Patreon campaign that helps us uh, defray the costs of putting this on, things like web hosting. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about too is even just getting the news, right? So uh, a lot of our stories come from the Denver Business Journal and many of those stories are not free. So we have to pay for those. And then finally, uh, you may have noticed over the past few weeks, we have had some uh, volunteer folks doing interviews. Um, Chris, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mary did interviews, and those were great. And we have another one this week. Um, if people would like to do interviews, we would love to have you interview people and get them on the show. Also, if you are interested in being interviewed, uh, have something interesting to say, please let us know. Um, we'll reach out and, and figure out how to get you on the show. All right, so with that, let's jump into the news. Uh, the first story this week, uh, loosely has to do with Atari. So that's got to be a good thing, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, do you remember Atari, Alex? I do remember Atari. Who, who doesn't love uh, playing Pong or Space Invaders or you know, all of those good games? Um, anyway, uh, th- this article isn't really about, um, about Atari, but it's, it's a good headline. So uh, this is talking about the, the future of work. There was a panel at Startup Week um, with Governor Polis and uh, Nathan Bushnell, who is the founder of Atari, who also I did not realize was also the founder of Chuck E. Cheese. Um, you weird. know, very weird. I guess they both involve video games. Uh, but anyway, uh, talking about the, the future of work and artificial intelligence and you know, how we need to be looking forward and uh, thinking about how artificial intelligence is gonna be replacing all of us. Yeah, I think that 
they address this question of and in the article about mundane tasks, right? right. And it's trying to offload those mundane tasks to to AI. And that's a you know, obviously where you know the industry is heading, our industries. Um, but I liked how the article talked about the sort of worry there that people are gonna lose jobs, right? And what to do about it. I think some of what they've been talking about here in the government is to make sure that these conversations are happening. Like, how are we going to handle this if people are losing uh, jobs? But I, I, it was very hopeful there at the end how they talked about uh, when you talk about aut autonomous vehicles, for example, they had quoted something like 15 million jobs. You know, people who are drivers are right. going to potentially lose their jobs, but they could be replaced with building the new infrastructure for autonomous vehicles. Right. Right. Yeah, and a part of the article also talked about how uh, Governor Polis started a new department to look at the future of work and, and what that means. One of the things that it always strikes me with this is, you know, everybody keeps saying AI, but like every example that people give in my mind is really just, it's really automation. I think that's right. a better way to look at it than AI. Because um, when you say AI, I think still in most people, people's minds, you know, you're thinking about, um, you know, thinking robots. Right. And most of the stuff we're talking about here is not really thinking robots. It's, you know, it's getting rid of the easy stuff and programming away those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I guess maybe in a little sense, uh, you know, an autonomous car is a thinking robot, uh, but not really. It's just kind of following a, a set of rules uh, that, you know, we do as drivers. So anyway. Um, well, one, one way we talk about that is general AI versus narrow or specific AI. Right. And general AI is that it's the how robot that knows everything and can yeah. talk to you and, and all of that. Really, if there's any AI happening today, it's in the narrow AI area, more like the expert system. It's applied to a specific problem. For sure. Right? Yeah, and I, you know, the nuance I think is lost on, on most people. So anyway, good discussion. All right, well, article number two is about DIA. DIA is in the news again. Uh, this article describes where DIA was ranked among the nation's best connected airports. Yeah, when I heard that headline, I thought, oh, we're talking about um, you know, who has the best free Wi-Fi or something like that at the airport, <laughs> which is totally not what this story is about. Um, you know, DIA, we know, is a, a sort of hub in the, the central United States. Um, which means there are a lot of connections from the airport to various different places. And it turns out the DIA is the fifth best connected airport uh, in the U.S., which is pretty cool. And the winner was? Uh, the winner was, who was the winner? I didn't even, don't even remember. It was Chicago. Oh, it was Chicago. I was going to say Atlanta, and then I thought in my mind it wasn't Atlanta. So I think they were number two. For the fourth year in a row. And I, I wonder if the most connected airports also have the most delays because that's how it seems every time I go through ORD. Yeah, one of the ones, I think it was number four, but it definitely in the top five, was Detroit. And I thought that that was kind of weird, but I guess Detroit is a Delta hub. Okay. So if you're um, not flying on Delta through Atlanta, you're probably flying through Detroit. So I guess that makes yeah. sense. I think what's, what's um, funny about this article is, although the focus is on the you know where it ranks, and f as far as how how well connected the airport it is, is it it turns right to the question about the expansion project that's right. going on at DIA or not going on at this or point. not happening, right? right? There's a lot of controversy happening on that for sure project. Yeah, I can't wait till that is done, but hopefully they and hopefully they get a new contractor soon to get that done. So uh, next, uh, Denver is now the seventh largest flexible office space market in the U.S. Uh, so this article is talking about uh, the WeWorks of the world and the other co-working and flexible office space um, vendors that are out there. And, uh, and Denver apparently has the seventh most um, amount of space in that area in the U.S., which is, uh, or I guess, uh, maybe not even in the U.S. because they're talking about international markets as well. Um, but, uh, but yes, pretty cool. Um, if you want a, a co-working space, there, it definitely is here. 2.4% uh, of the total office space in Denver is flexible office space. I, I found that surprising because the article is geared towards, you know, how big this is growing, how right. fast it's growing. And then the statistic is 2.4%. Right. And so apparently that is actually a significant amount, but, you know, I sort of expected it to be higher than yeah. that. 
Um, yeah, I think the the highest was um, was about four percent in San Francisco. So yeah, um, which makes total sense to me. But um, but yeah, that you would think that that would be a a higher number if they're talking about how you know amazingly large this part of the market is. The the thing that I kind of focused in on in this article is is the why, right? Why are we seeing so much flexible office space? Why is it becoming right. so popular? Um, and the answer here, according to, to Shippitz, uh, the guy who's quoted in the article, is flexibility. Right. It's having that flexibility to, you know, add, expand, and and also remove space uh, in a flexible nature. And so, yeah, you know that. That definitely ex- explains it. For us as a startup, personally, it's really useful, you know, because as we're building the company, we're not ready to commit to right. large office spaces with leases and all of this. So, you know, obviously we could take advantage of. Or even to commit to a small office space and then next year, oh, well, we got to renegotiate and exactly. you know, that kind of thing. It makes it a lot easier to grow. I can see that for sure. So, our fourth article is. Uh, about Charles Schwab and their growth in Lone Tree. I, you know, I did not realize how large the facility is down there. Yeah, you know, you can see the, you know, they're sort of beacon off the highway. They have like a, looks like sort of a fake office. Like you can see it right off of uh, I-25. But yeah, they, they've got, I guess, 4,500 people down in the office down there now, which is pretty crazy. Um, and that's 500 more than they originally expected to have down there. Uh, the The focus of the article is talking about how um, it's so big that they're building a parking garage right. now, like a thousand space parking garage for all of the people that are, are working there. Yeah, they actually gave a, a significant amount of attention to this parking garage, right, in the article. Um, but the what I liked about it is that, you know, when you see the growth of a business like this, the the impact it has on the area, on on the uh, the economy, essentially yeah. having additional, you know. Uh, even just you know the Schwab employees going to the businesses and the restaurants, the retail, and driving the housing market, and you know it's really beneficial to the to the growth of the area. For sure, uh, one of the things that I also thought was interesting, and we had an article about this a couple weeks ago. They had like one line at the very end of the article too, is that Schwab actually announced some layoffs um, recently here too. So I, it's not all quite as rosy as as they're painting it, but. Uh, I guess, you know, sometimes you grow too fast and you have to make adjustments. Uh, Next article, there was an interview with uh, Gusto CEO Joshua Reeves about the secrets of being the top executive. Uh, So, you know, Gusto expanded here from California. Their uh, their biggest office is now in Colorado. And uh, this interview gave a a couple insights into uh, Joshua Reeves and what he does as CEO. Alex, is it Gusto or Gusto? Ooh, you know, good question. Um, I've always pronounced it Gusto, but I have no idea. <laughs> I um, don't either. We we called it Gusto for some reason, yeah. and and I've been corrected since then. Yeah, but I still don't think it's clear. It's a uh, it's an American company, not one with a with a Spanish accent, I guess. Exactly. So so well, the the CEO, you know, he talked about. Um, what happens in cities like Denver if if it grows quickly and companies yeah. like like Gusto uh, grow fast um, and what it you know sort of what it does to the infrastructure there and you know he made some comments which you know pretty you know it's good common sense in that the public transportation is a key factor in making sure that people can live you know maybe outside of the city but they have good yeah. public transportation to get in. And then the availability of housing, you know, this idea that if you're going to keep adding jobs and grow, you need to add adequate housing so it doesn't create an imbalance in the supply and demand. Right. Yeah. My, the underlying message that I got from this was we're moving to Denver because it's not San Francisco. So please, Denver, make sure you don't turn into San Francisco. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That came across very clear, I think. For sure. Uh, All right. uh, Next story. Uh, there was a an article from Optiv announcing a, a security survey that they performed. Um, you know, the headline I think is interesting, uh, talking about how businesses, some businesses are prioritizing cybersecurity above all else. So this was a um, a CISO level survey that they took, uh, 
sort of gauging you know people's priorities and and how they're seeing cybersecurity, how things are changing. Um, you know that that statistic is an interesting one for me um, because frankly it's dumb. You know, as a business, you don't want to prioritize cybersecurity over everything else. Um, there are lots of things that you should think of first before cybersecurity. Not that cybersecurity isn't important, but you know you probably want to actually have um, a product to sell and um, and you know marketing efforts and uh, you know all of the things that you do in a normal business before you think about cybersecurity. Right, and then think about how you're going right. to protect it, right, and right. make sure that. So, so I, I guess you know I think the the headline is a little bit clickbaity. I guess trying to get you to to think about ooh here's a um, um, you know, a crazy headline. Um, but there were some other things in here that uh, I think were a little bit more down to earth. 96% uh, of respondents indicated that they're taking a more strategic approach to cybersecurity. Not a super surprise, but um, I think that that's a good thing. Um, having strategy around cybersecurity is always a good thing. One of the findings that I found interesting was the, the sort of problem around the basic blocking and tackling of security problems, you know, basic functions like vulnerability and patching, and it's not as high priority as it should be. Right. Uh, the comments in the article by by Andre Kowalich, he he's somebody I've actually worked with before, oh, okay. so it's kind of cool to see his name pop up here. Um, it really points to this idea of you know we need more automation, and again, forget saying AI and let's just say automation is the more we can automate the typical tasks in uh, whatever, the SOC or in your security program, it gives you access to more resources to focus on basic security projects like vulnerability management, which according to this article seems to be lacking. Yep, I think that is a good point as well. All right, uh, next article. So the next article is uh, from Coalfire. And in this one, they talk about the new high-trust CSF 90-day rules and what you need to know. Yeah, this was uh, interesting. I, I'm not a high-trust person. I haven't ever had to be high-trust certified. Uh, but basically, it sounds like a couple new rules around timing. One, that um, your controls need to be in place for 90 days before you can be assessed by a third party. That seems like a reasonable rule. Um, and then the second one was that the external assessments themselves can't take more than 90 days. Um, so I, I think that those are two smart things. If you want someone to externally assess you, you don't want it to take forever, and you probably should actually have been doing the things that you're being assessed on before you get assessed on them. There was some good advice here to that performing a self-assessment is a pivotal step yeah. to identifying remediation efforts. It's just good advice for this is good trusted advisor <laughs> advice from coal fire yep good stuff all right uh next article there was a, a blog post from zavilo this week talking about unsafe banned and counterfeit products sold in online markets you know this was an interesting article to me in that it it really didn't have anything to do with uh cyber um but it just sort of you know personal safety i guess uh, the article was talking about how you know many of the online marketplaces, Amazon, eBay, you know now have third-party sellers. So if you're buying from Amazon, you may not be actually buying from Amazon. It could be whoever. And I've bought plenty of you know straight drop shipped from China items off of Amazon myself. Uh, but just talking about the fact that there are many that could be counterfeit or even dangerous uh, because the sellers are a little bit sketchy. Yeah, exactly. And what you're seeing, I guess, is a lot of these online retailers are trying to build systems, these detection systems to determine if something is authentic or is actually counterfeit. Uh, it's hard to say how well it's working. The The blog post talks through some of the the uh, uh, examples where, uh, you know, they've, they've gotten some good performance on these things. But I think you're right, you know, from a safety perspective, I think that is what becomes the concern for the typical American, right? Or the typical, well, in fact, anybody, consumer, right? Anybody who's consuming products, go. This trend towards seeing, you know, potentially 
counterfeit products coming through these online retailers might actually shift consumers back to the store. Huh. When you're in the store, there's this, you know, they verified that these are real right. products. They're, you know, FDA approved and all, all of these things. And I, I just felt like the trend towards online retail is just, it's just going bonkers, right? And, you know, the big box stores, the physical stores are going to start to really see the impact of that. This is actually one of those things that could reverse that trend. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. I'm sure that the online re retailers will will take steps to curb things if that really is what the trend uh, starts to be. All right, and then our final story for this week uh, was a blog post from Logarithm talking about uh, doing OT, you know, operational technology security uh, with Clarity and how that plays into Logarithm. Uh, there was uh, a good amount of detail in this blog post that they had uh, talking about ways that you can use the data from Clarity to monitor your OT environments, um, how there's interplay back and forth, all that kind of thing. I really liked it. I've seen this from Logarithm before in some of their blog posts where they really take the time to show you the use case and yeah. sort of spell it out. There's great screenshots that explain really end to end how to do detection, investigate, create cases, you know, kind of in the mind of someone who's trying to, you know, do monitoring and incident response. They tied that together pretty well throughout the, the article. Yeah, definitely. It was a good blog post. All right. So that takes us to the end of the news. Um, let's jump over to the Slack message of the week. Thanks to Andre Gaeta for being our sponsor of the Slack message of the week. Uh, he does this out of the goodness of his own heart and the depths of his own pocketbook. And uh, this week, our winner is Jake Barber. Congratulations, Jake. Uh, Jake shared a story about Google's new quantum computer, um, which on the surface in you know, some news articles have said is an amazing breakthrough. Uh, but I think on deeper inspection, if you look at it, it it is pretty cool for for what it is, but it is it's not really the you know the end of encryption or anything like that at this point. So, uh, congratulations to Jake. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, we will get you in contact with Andre, and you can get your free merchandise from the Colorado Equals Security Store. All right, uh, let's go over to events. We have a, a bunch of events that are upcoming. Uh, the first of those is on October the 2nd. Ballard Spar is doing their annual Colorado Security, excuse me, Cybersecurity Summit. Uh, this is a legal and pol or privacy focused event. Uh, Colorado Equal Security will actually be there. So if you want to show up, we will see you there. Also on October 2nd, the Denver IAM user group is having an event at the Boiler Room Speakeasy in downtown Denver. Nice. Uh, finally, on the second, Colorado Springs uh, is doing a cybersecurity summit and industry day. On the third of October, Splunk has their first Thursdays at Top Golf event. On the third and fourth, uh, the CTA is doing their global blockchain summit. SecureSet is doing their Capture the Flag cybersecurity games on October fourth. On the 5th, ISACA is doing a CISA and CISM review session. This is Domain 4 for the CISA and Domain 3 for the CISM. ISSA Denver has their October chapter meeting on October 8th. Uh, and the 9th. And, and the 9th. Uh, Presidio on the 9th is doing their Red Sky Security Conference for 2019. Uh, Secure Set. Secure Your Future with SecureSet and Denver Women in Tech session is happening on October 10th. Pretty cool. And then our final event for this week, uh, ISACA is doing their review session on the 12th for CISA Domain 5 and CISM Domain 4. Uh, check out the link on the website for more details on those uh, ISACA review sessions. All right. Let's jump over to jobs. We've got some great jobs this week. Uh, first, Bank of America is looking for a cyber program manager. Bank of America also is looking for a security vulnerability analyst. Yeah, Bank of America is hiring like crazy in Denver. Uh, Transamerica is looking for a senior cybersecurity fraud investigative analyst. 
Next up, CHI is looking for a director of security engineering. DISH is looking for a cloud security architect. And Pearson is hiring a senior application security engineer. Denver Water is looking for an information security analyst. And Hawk is hiring a product security architect. And finally, Direct Defense is hiring a security analyst. Uh, I'm assuming that is for their SOC because they do some MSS work. So those are the jobs for this week. Check those out. Um, pretty good listing of jobs in there. And that brings us to the end of our news portion for this week. Uh, we will now jump over to the feature interview. Uh, this week, uh, we have another, as I mentioned earlier, another guest interview. So Ty Burke um, is doing his first interview for us, I believe. And he interviewed uh, Chris Rothy, who is the chief product officer and co-founder of Red Canary. So look forward to seeing that. Uh, thanks, Chris, for filling in. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. This is Clay Parker, Director of Security Operations at Tremble Navigation. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. Uh, I'm Ty Burke here with Chris Rothy, the co-founder and Chief Product Officer at Red Canary. Chris, to be here. I got your name right. Way to go. Appreciate it. <laughs> what percentage of people get you say Rothy or oh, man. Roth. Nobody ever says Rothy. I've I've just gotten used to Roth and Roth. Uh, <laughs> so I'll respond to any of them. I don't actually care that much. Yeah. yeah. With a name like mine, I've got uh, yeah, uh, yeah. quite a few silent letters in my first name. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine the, the yeah. trouble that uh, totally. that I've been in my life. Um, well, thanks for being here. Uh, really excited to kind of get to know you a little bit yeah. and, and hear the story. Um, obviously, Red Canary is uh, a frequent uh, I don't know, company, and, and we highlight uh, a lot of what you guys are doing on the podcast week to week. So I yeah, appreciate that. Uh, really excited to hear what you guys have in store here. Cool. Yeah, excited to be here and share what I can. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you yeah. mentioned you, you grew up uh, where you're living today, yeah. which, which I don't know if I know anyone else who, who can yeah. say that same thing, but tell us a little bit about kind of sure, sure. childhood and, and what growing up was like here. Yeah, in absolutely. Yeah, so I, I'm native Coloradan, um, grew up over in, in Littleton. My parents in 1985 uh, bought a house up in Deer Creek Canyon, uh, mostly because my dad wanted to put up a big uh, ham radio antenna. He was big into that. and uh, The neighborhoods they were living in didn't allow him to put up antennas high, as high as he wanted, so moved out there to get a little, little bit of freedom. And uh, So moved up there when I was a kid and uh, grew up there, ended up going to see Boulder, and then uh, eventually went back and subdivide my parents house and live there so kind of a cool experience coming full circle and, and living where you grew up and knowing kind of every inch of a piece of property and stuff <laughs> like that so when you say you subdivided the property yeah. you mean like you built a new home on the property correct yeah so my my mom is uh my dad passed away but my mom's still there and next door neighbor so okay it's awesome it's great having having grandma there for my kids i bet yeah. i bet um how old are your kids you got three kids three six and nine three girls Okay. So, yeah, just just coming off a week of uh, playing Mr. Mom while my wife took a much needed uh, vacation. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, still recovering a little bit, but went well. That's great. Yeah. I bet your uh, I bet your your mom loves having the girls around. She does. Yeah. Yeah. No That's gonna be nice. Yep. Um. So I understand outside of yeah. you know security in the professional world, you're relatively involved uh, in the nonprofit community. Sure. Um, and that's. You know, one thing that we'd like to kind of highlight here is, yeah. obviously, the show is based on security, but right. um, so much of, you know, what what we think makes really interesting people are, are kind of what they do outside the office. So tell, right. tell us a little bit about your nonprofit work. Sure. Yeah. And for me, I focus on a, a couple areas, um, work with a couple different groups and in, in helping them uh, kind of find ways to use technology to do better for their, um, their ultimate I don't know, for me, I always think of it as customers, but the, the people they're serving. Um, and so that, that's kind of the model that uh, most of that's centered around. Uh, the company that, we'll get to this, I imagine, but that founded uh, Red Canary has a, a nonprofit entity associated with that, Kairos Charities, and mm -hmm. um, we put on what we call accelerant projects, which is uh, taking a, a charity that has, uh, you know, some need or something that they want to do to kind of move forward and putting together almost like a hackathon 
Um, they can take a lot of different forms, but we've, we've done some cool things in the past just to get tools into their hands. A lot of time they're, they're resource strapped and gives people an opportunity to take their skills, whether that's coding or uh, marketing or whatever, and, and take them into that sector instead of just kind of donating money or, or time. Kind of a way to generate donate time in a different way that, mm-hmm. that aligns with what they're good at. So, um, done a lot of that, and then uh, you know having having young kids. Like the other part of it is uh, making sure that uh, you know, bring them up to have have a heart and um, desire to want to help other people. We obviously very lucky uh, to live in, in the best state in the, in the U.S. and uh, and you know make sure they know that. Make sure that they're giving back to to people around them. So that's the other half of it for me is doing things with my family to, to stay involved with that. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's, I, I it, with Conversations I have with, with various you know, executives around town, it's uh, that type of um, uh, kind of fulfillment really kind of makes makes people's lives so much better. Like, you know, no yeah. matter what type of success they're having, yeah, uh, it's the impact that they're able to have on, on the rest of the community. And, and give back to those people that, like, you know, just don't weren't given the opportunities yeah. that they that they are having. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's really special. So yeah, I was really fortunate early in my career to have a, a mentor who, you know, kind of looked at his his career as you know the first half being kind of for him, the next half kind of being building a, a company and, and things like that, and then the, the last bit transitioning into okay, now I've done this, I've sold the company, what do I do yeah. uh, for the next ten years? And so um, been fortunate enough to, to get a lot of good advice there. Think about what you do once you uh, once you put together something that really works. So, yeah, cool. So, um, so you're up here. You went to yeah. Boulder. Uh, started out with Mercury. Yeah. Uh, Pre HP. Yeah, in, in actually, uh, yeah, actually started with um, Freshwater Software. Okay. Right before the Mercury acquisition, I'm, I'm actually not sure if it was right before, or like the day after, but it was like my first few days there were all meetings with the Mercury uh, team coming in and. and uh, going through that acquisition so that uh, was a great place to be I don't know if, if anyone some of your listeners may remember uh, Freshwater but the cool thing about working there is that uh, every desk like they basically have this big open floor desk area uh, with these diagonal desks and the dividers were fish tanks so there's, there's <laughs> still pictures out on the internet of like this the Freshwater literally offices. Freshwater <laughs> yeah exactly and um, yeah so I, was, I interned there kind of my last uh couple years of, of college and then worked for them full-time for a little while and then, uh, ended up over at Lockheed Martin. Okay. Yeah. So, so many uh, security folks across the state, across the country, yeah. uh, you know, tend to, to get their start yeah. in some of the early, you know, really large defense contractors. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you had a good run there, three, four years. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that experience yeah. was like to you, particularly for those listeners who maybe two years into their yeah. security career working for Lockheed or something like that. And yeah. Uh, kind of help how that helps shape you because it's a it's an incredible yeah. training ground, right? Yeah, and you know, uh, all three of the founders of, of Red Canary kind of came from that world, and I think the the thing I always think back on and take away is there's no choice but to be mission oriented when you're uh, when you're working in national security or in defense contracting. Um, you know, if you're not there for that reason, you know, uh, there's probably probably better places to be, but. For us, it was always very meaningful to support the, the missions that we supported, and um, did that as a con- as a uh, you know Lockheed employee for a couple of years. Um, hilariously, and this happens a lot in the, the defense industry, but I never actually worked in a Lockheed building um, <laughs> until I left uh, Lockheed Martin and went to uh, Solidine, which is a, a small uh, contracting firm that contracted back to uh, to the big players in that industry. Um, but the thing that uh, I really look back on now and. What I learned being in that world was, um, you know, the roles I had kind of right out of college were take big and sometimes ambiguous requirements from, you know, handed down from gov- government entities and uh, deconstruct them, pull them apart, turn them into things that software teams could go build. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was it was tedious work sometimes, tough work, but at a very young age, uh, very early in my career, I had a lot of experience in leading teams and. and moving them forward and um, getting things done and then ultimately presenting you know those results to you know back to our government counterparts and working directly with the, the people who are serving those missions um, and so so yeah so that was great experience and great um, kind of learning to, to go through early on in my career and then transition um, 
from kind of that systems engineering roles back into um, software engineering roles. My, my background, I'm an electrical engineer um, by trade, and I kind of grew up breaking things and playing with computers as, as kind of my main hobbies. Got out of got out of school and was kind of like, all right, now what do I do? There's there's not a ton of uh, hardware engineering in the area that I uh, was really there, and so jumped over into the software world with Lockheed and uh, had a great run there. After I left and went to, to Solidine, I, I uh, consulted for Lockheed for uh, a number of years after that. Um, in total, I think it eight or nine years uh, in the, in that world. Um, was lucky enough to meet uh, Brian Byer, who's the CEO of Red Canary, um, one of my co-founders at uh, during that stretch working for Solidine. Um, he had come over and, and uh, we hit it off right away. And, and I think uh, you know the thing I'm always amazed with there's if you go out and look at like startup literature, startup Twitter, or whatever, they'll they'll talk about the the 10x developer, the mythical like developer who can do more than anyone else. And if you read into that a lot, a lot of times you'll find out like that person's not always a great person. A lot of times they're so single, you know, single-minded on getting things done that they don't take the time to mentor and work with other people and, and frankly, just be kind. Um, and I think, amazingly, to Brian's credit, like, he is absolutely a 10x developer and can crank out more beautiful uh, code than anyone I've ever seen, uh, but also is a great person and, and a great person to work with. Um, and so I feel very fortunate that the cross paths with him and Obviously, we, we worked really well together, you know, in that stretch, and then uh, he got an opportunity to work, move over to a company called uh, Kairos Technology, um, founded by uh, a group of guys who worked at um, Mantech, another defense contractor back on the, the East Coast. Um, he had interned with them, you know, a number of years earlier, and uh, got a chance to kind of start their Denver office, and then uh, pretty quickly after that, we, we ended up founding Red Canary kind of as an offshoot. So, um, yeah, like I said, if nothing else, like working in that that uh, defense contractor environment, got me really used to kind of being beaten down by uh, by government folks and um, and working really well with some of them, and then uh, led me to kind of being introduced to the team I worked with. So, so as as a double E in yeah. college, yeah. Um, you go to Lockheed, yeah. you do your thing there. Like, was was security um, something you were passionate about, or was it more of a I guess this kind of yeah. evolves into the, sure. the Red Canary, um, you know, opportunity. But yeah. but were you really passionate about security, or were you like, wow, here's a problem. Yeah. Let's let's see if we can do something about it. Yeah. So you know, the problems I worked on in the defense industry were were not cybersecurity most of the time. They they were you know national security. Right. Um, a lot of the stuff based out here in Denver is you know satellite related. So you know, I worked on the GPS ground station for a while and some other stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's funny being, you know, now being in, in cybersecurity for the last number of years, like you take a step back and you look at it and you say, you know, are these two separate things or are they two parts of the same thing? And, um, you know, my abstract view is that they're, they're the same thing, right? Physical security and cybersecurity overlap uh, a lot more than, than I think people realize. Um, and so, you know, the things we were doing in the, the, the satellite area were very much overlapping and, mm-hmm. and com, um, complementary and ultimately part of the same overall mission as um, some of the pure cybersecurity things. So my real introduction to, um, to cybersecurity and, and uh, you know, everything that went along with that on the government side was once I came over to Kairos and worked with that team. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of did boutique uh, you know, security stuff for, for the government, but also commercially. Um, and so, so yeah, I, kind of a long-winded answer but didn't never set out to be like a security guy and uh ended up kind of doing things within security for my whole career okay so um so you founded red canary co-founded yeah. red canary a couple of years ago um what was the the goal at the time what were you trying yeah. to do and, and i say that because um, there's a lot of you know entrepreneurs out sure, there listening sure. hopefully yeah uh, that, that probably have ideas yeah. of, of ways to do things better ways to do things yeah. differently um, you know, but they're not ready to pull the trigger. Maybe they, yeah. they just got married. They just yeah, had a yeah. child. Uh, yeah. Maybe they're making good money or, or whatever. There's, there's, you know, all sorts of reasons to not start a venture. But, uh, you know, where were you in your life? Yeah. Um, and and kind of what ultimately convinced you that like I'm going to take the plunge. Yeah. You know, here we go. Let's, let's give us a shot. And 
know, let's hope. I hope this works. But but just talk us through sure. that because there's got to be some some parallels between what people are listening, you know, people are thinking out there, and, and where you were at that stage of your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if you if you looked at like the ideal conditions for starting a company from a personal life perspective, I think I hit none of them. Um, I <laughs> you know talked about kind of where I live. I um, I was in the middle of building my house. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our second kid. Um, we had had one who was you know two at the time, and uh, you know come home and say, hey, uh, you know we're going to take think about taking this big pay cut because there's this huge opportunity. You know, none of that sounds like ideal conditions for like going full on into into a, a venture, um, and so I guess. I don't know if there's a message, message there, like it was certainly hard and like hard on, you know, my marriage with my amazing wife, but, um, you know, you come out the, the other side of that and um, look back on it and you're like, how did I, why did I think we could do that? It was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, and and yet, like, it worked out for us, like, it, and I don't know that it would for, for everyone, but it was, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't make any decision differently. Like, I think if you find an opportunity where there's something that you believe in and it's the right team um, you either have the right co-founders the right investor team or, or whatever uh, you just have to do it and um, is it always going to work out definitely not but it's you know definitely not going to work out if you don't don't take the chance so um, so yeah I would say you know in summary like there's never a perfect time there's probably never even a right time to say I'm going to suspend uh, my life and go try to try to launch a, a business, but um, you should still do it if it's something you're passionate about and, and you've you know, got something that actually you know, has a chance. Um, for us, you know, specifically, we, you know, we were working at Kairos. Kairos built this product internally um, to satisfy, you know, we were doing a lot of incident response engagements and built this tool internally to use for that and uh, ultimately decided to spin that out into a separate company. Um, and fund that company and that company was called Carbon Black and so Carbon Black uh, split off took a series A um, grew for a while then merged with Bit9 um, renamed themselves back to, to Carbon Black and then they IPO'd uh, I guess last spring and then actually just last week uh, were acquired by VMware so uh, very successful full business um, myself uh, Brian our third co-founder Keith McCammon we stayed back at at uh, Kairos, continued doing incident response engagements uh, using Carbon Black, and uh, basically every time we'd get done with the IR and we'd say, "Hey, you should keep this here, keep this tool deployed. It's not just for deploying and then using for a short term. Um, keep it here, keep it running, so it collects telemetry, you know, when we're not watching." And people would say, "Oh, that's cool. We like it, but we don't want to manage it." And so the initial thing we did was okay, well, well, we'll manage it for you, right? Which meant nothing more than like turning it on in uh, you know, a rack that we had of servers um, and helping you know, keep it alive. And uh, pretty quickly after that, we realized like, why are we you know, just hosting this for people and waiting for them to call us and say they think they have a problem? Like we've got the, the data, we're watching, we've got the telemetry of what's going on in their environment. Let's just look for threats all the time. Um, and that was kind of the, the genesis of what became Red Canaries. Uh, we've got this great telemetry set coming in, you know, looking through this big volume of data and finding the interesting things is, is actually quite similar to the problem that, you know, Brian and I used to work on in um, the defense industry, the totally different data sets, but very similar. And so um, kind of applied that similar model and, and, and went from there. Um, I think uh, the other thing I'd say about that is early on, you, you don't know like what your ultimate customer is or what they're going to want. And so we tried a lot of different things and, you know, we were fortunate enough to, by the time we spun Carbon Black or, or Red Canary out from Kairos, uh, we had five or six pilot customers who we'd been working with for, you know, about a year um, and kind of understood what they wanted and, and some of that. And then spent the first year as an independent company just focused on learning as much as we could from them. Um, what would be a valuable service? Do we need to take in, you know, IDS logs or, or uh you know, work in their sim or, or whatever, um, answering a lot of those questions and ultimately came to, to the decision about what Red Canary was going to be. And then going into 2015, um, you know, decided we, we had a product that we were confident we could go take to market. And so started our go-to-market efforts and kind of went from there. But that was our approach, um, was to, 
to not rush into you know either taking funding rounds or um, uh, or you know trying to sell the product too soon. Really focus on a core set of customers and, and make sure we understood what the value was and um, then how to communicate that to, to other people. Classic how to start a business do one thing do it really damn well yeah. and you know figure out what yeah do. yeah it's, it's it's funny I think it's really easy to look back and say that in hindsight and at the time like that yeah. is absolutely <laughs> not what we were saying like, we definitely weren't sitting there like the nice clean story I just told it's definitely not what we were sitting around doing um, for sure you know but yeah it's it, it does end up that if you can get away with that it's a, it's a great way to do it is to, to really focus on a small thing and then figure out how to make it bigger yeah so, so you're running the product team today. Actually, not. You're not. No. Educate me. What are you? What are you? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing today? Yes, yeah, so this is a, a fun thing about Red Canary history. So we, um, so I mentioned that time frame, 2015 time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, what it came down to is, all right, we've got to either raise around or you know go sell the product enough to, to kind of keep the doors open. Um, and so you know we were working on Brian especially working on raising uh, a series A and uh, you know we looked around the table and was like well the rest of us need to kind of go figure out if we can sell this thing and get some traction if, if for no other reason than to, to show the investors that there's something here beyond our you know pilot customers and uh, so I think before that I had maybe like sold a car on Craigslist is about <laughs> the extent of my sales experience uh, and but there was it was kind of up to me so uh, myself and Corey Bolin are head of marketing at the time and uh, you know we kind of sort of think of him as like the fourth founder of, of the company uh, he and I kind of uh, just went barnstorming went up to Carbon Black and learned a lot from how they did sales and started to figure out like where could we where could we start taking our product to market um, and so we did that and did a lot of the initial initial sales uh, of Red Canary and then uh, we ended up taking a Series A investment uh, about a year and a half later 2016 mm-hmm the summer um, did the series a and then um, from there uh, I, for a while I moved back over to kind of the product side of the house and then uh, came back to the, the uh, what we call our customer machine which encompasses you know sales marketing and customer success and so that's where I sit today um, I still have the, the chief product officer title because um, maybe just because I want it but more so it's, uh, I think a pretty abstract guy and I think of everything that touches a customer as being part of products right whether that's the first marketing interaction they have the first time you know one of our sales reps calls them um, ultimately that whole experience all the way through being a customer for for 10 years is, is part of our product and our delivery so I can at least rationalize that that in my head yeah um, but yeah for now uh, uh, everyone kind of on the, the customer uh, facing side reports up to, to me okay yeah gotcha. it's kind of a weird place for an electrical engineer to uh I wouldn't have expected it, I'll be <laughs> honest, but uh, yeah. good for you. Um, okay, so uh, for for all of the kind of, you know, you, you've been in Colorado sure. forever, uh, a lot of folks like myself have come yeah. here and we've created traffic and we've driven up uh, <laughs> housing prices and things like that. Um, we appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, for... for, for those who are relatively new to Colorado yeah. who are uh, trying to kind of grasp the scope of security and how it's evolved sure. across not just the front range but the entire state. Yeah, yeah. Um, help help us explain help explain kind of where maybe where security was in 2014 when you guys started yeah. and, and where it is today and yeah. and how you have grown with it. You know, maybe because you're so you know, customer facing, maybe you can talk a little bit about. Yeah. You know what, what customers are saying today that they weren't two or three or four years ago for sure yeah so I think uh, to address kind of the Colorado side of it I think it's cool to look at the history and, and you know probably this is part of why this podcast exists and you look at going back to the, the web roots and, and even before that um, web roots logarithm you know ping identity uh, great track record of successful security companies here um, and with that a lot of you know great minds in the community mm-hmm. um, who've built those companies and and then gone on to, to do other other things. Um, so there's a great community here uh, that, that supports the security ecosystem, and uh, that's why it's a, it's a great place to be to have a company like Red Canary because we have no shortage of people to talk to and, and uh, uh, you know people who recruit and that kind of thing. Um, so there's that that side of it, and then I think if you think about the security landscape in general, like 
the what's changed over the last five years with our customers is um, as you know more and more things in IT change, the security landscape changes. So you know more and more stuff moves to the cloud. You know my my, my primary device I work off of is a Chromebook, right? Security for for that environment, cloud SaaS, you know devices that aren't traditional um, laptop servers uh, it is different. And so I think that's that's kind of where things have changed. Um, and then you get kind of on the product side and you talk about Kubernetes and container security and, mm-hmm. and a lot of fronts like that that um, are really not figured out yet. There's not good answers for uh, what does it mean to, to collect telemetry? You know, this relates very specifically to our business, but what does it mean to collect good telemetry um, in a containerized environment so you know what an attacker's done if you get into an IR standpoint. If the container only lasts for you know, five seconds, spins up, does a job, spins down, and it's compromised, like what does that actually mean? There's a lot of questions like that out there that I, I think uh, you know, smart people are gonna come along and, and uh, found businesses and, and build great products to address that. Um, and then yeah, like I think cloud security, kind of obvious at this point, but I still don't think we have a great uh, great grasp on it and certainly it's becoming more and more of where attackers focus their attention um, you know when when endpoint devices laptops workstations were so easy to compromise and to some extent they still are uh, if you're an attacker why focus anywhere else you can always get in by by phishing and um, you know uh, easy malware to get deployed onto onto a laptop why bother trying to attack a, a cloud environment but as the industry's progressed, we've gotten better at um, you know stopping threats that, that attack endpoints um, or, or even just detecting and responding quickly. Uh, attackers have to shift their focus, and obviously the cloud is is uh, an area where um, you know IT still has maturing to do, and thus security also has maturing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, if I was looking out a few years, I think those would be the the domains that I'd focus on. Probably isn't earth shattering. I think every, everyone would probably say that to you, but right. that's what we hear from our customers: is you know, what do you do to support uh, support containers or Kubernetes or the cloud or whatever? And uh, you know, as a company that's focused primarily on endpoint security, it's important questions for us to to figure out from a business standpoint. Is as their security ally, as as a, a business that's in the trenches with them and prides ourselves on on being an operations ally to our customers. Like, how do we be an ally in, in this kind of new front? As you guys have grown, um, no doubt, um, you know, there's been bumps along the sure, road. Yeah. Um, you probably had some really great days. You probably had some very, very dark and depressing <laughs> yeah, yeah, days. Yeah. Um, but you, you've, you know, you've gotten to where you are today, regardless, sure. you know, in spite of all that. All, in spite of all that. Um, who has helped you? Obviously, yeah. I'm, I assume your, your family has been a big part. Of course, um, yeah. And your, and your co-founders. Yeah. Um, have you found value in external mentors or advisors or um, other people that you may not have may may know nothing about your business, but sure. help kind of keep you grounded? And uh, because that's really important, right? Yeah, because yeah. so many people uh, in the security community um, they get chewed out yeah. quite a bit, right? right. For yeah. for things that they can control or things that they can't control. Yeah. Uh, but being able to you know wake up, yeah. dust yourself off, and, and, and do it all over again is yeah. really really key to sure. continuing things. Here. So. Talk to us about that. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, the best way I ever heard this described was actually one of the, the Carbon Black uh, co-founders, Ben Johnson, um, who uh, described kind of startup life as, as very much a roller coaster, right? And the first couple years of that, the, the roller coaster is like up and down very, very, you know, frequently. And so, you know, one day you think, we nailed it. We're going to be a billion dollar, you know, ten billion dollar company. And the next day, you're like, screw it, fold it up, like, <laughs> let's go do something else. Like this isn't working, right? And uh, and sometimes that can be the same day, to be honest. Um, and and so early on, like those those ups and downs are are very very frequent, like, yeah. right? It's it's call to call, it's day to day, it's hour to hour. Um, as as a company progresses, it it gets it's still there the roller coaster ride's still there but it tends to be a little bit longer arcs right um, bigger bigger things happening uh, things tend to stabilize a little bit so uh, you know if you can be persistent as a as a founder and as a an early employee at, at a startup company um, it does get better you know assuming it's a good business it, it does get to a point where you have more more good days um, you still have the have the dark times when when you know things happen that attack your business whether internal or external 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's that. And then I would say having great mentors and having people who you can can rely on and learn from is is critical. It's been super important for us. Like, you know, I, I joke about you know never selling anything before before being in this. Like, I literally knew nothing about how to sell uh, or even talk to you know a potential customer. Um, I had been you know working with government folks for a long time and knew how to talk to them and knew how to uh, kind of present and, and build good stories and stuff like that but had no idea how to ask somebody uh, hey will you actually sign the money over right <laughs> and, and you know an early mentor of mine you know said that like there comes a point where you just have to ask them you know will you will you sign this and like it was like this light bulb moment where I, you know I thought hey you show them the product you show them how good it is maybe you let them touch it and play with it and do a proof of concept or whatever and at some point during that they say Oh, this is cool. I'd like to buy this from you, and that just is not—it's not a thing. I like, guess not how it works <laughs> until you like say to them, like, "Okay, you think it's cool? Like, here's how much it costs. You know, do you want to buy?" Um, it's not going to happen. And so I'll, I'll never forget the the first time, you know, one of our first kind of big deals that we closed. Uh, I was on kind of a wrap up call for a proof of concept, and I asked asked the guys, "Are you ready to to buy?" And they said yes. And, uh, you know, the appropriate thing to do as a, as a sales rep is to say, oh, great, you know, let's talk about the next steps and outline how we get from here to, you know, the signature actually being on the piece of paper. And I think my exact response was, that's great, I'll talk to you later. And I hung up <laughs> and uh, was went running around my house, like yelling and screaming, like, yeah, I'm a salesman or whatever. And then, you know, no, I had to re-engage to, like, get the process moving again. Um, but uh, but anyway, so so that's, that's areas where, like, we leaned heavily on you know folks we knew from Carbon Black and having mm-hmm. them having gone through that fairly recently, um, and then leaned on others here kind of kind of locally uh, to reach out and, and just get advice on where to start. What we're having this problem, we're seeing this. Um, Bill Diedrich was the VP of Sales at um, and president at, at Ping Identity for a long time and has become you know one of my core mentors because he uh, just thinks about things in a very clear way. And, um, the thing I love about Bill, he's on our board as well, but the thing I love about Bill is that um, he may tell me the same story seven times if I ask, you know, slightly related questions, but I love that because it's like, he it's, he doesn't deviate. He, he goes back and he says, I know this works. I've seen this work. I've been doing this forever. Like, did you do this thing I told you to do last time, right? And so that's the other part of, of finding great mentors is people who are consistent and have are going to hold you accountable to say like, Hey, I, I told you what to do, or I told you what I thought you should do. If you come back to me with the same problem or nearly the same problem, like I'm going to give you the same we answer. We talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's been super helpful. And certainly as the company's progressed, uh, the type of people we look, look to for, for mentorship is, has grown and changed. Uh, you know, here, here locally, we have a few companies that have had great success like rally and, and others. And so, um, you know, Brian, our CEO, has, a, has some relationships with Tim Miller, former CEO of, of, of Rally, and folks like that who um, have gone from this stage up to the next stage. That's that's kind of the the other key thing is you can't assume that somebody who is the right mentor to help you get a company from zero to one million is going to be the right mentor to, to get from one to ten or from ten to twenty five or twenty five to one hundred. It's it's a constant process of kind of cultivating people that you trust. Um, and fortunately, we have, uh, because we've had a number of companies in security and outside of security here locally that have done that, uh, those people are out there. And being Coloradans, and they're, they're generally very willing to, to share. Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. That's, that's really good. Really good story. Good advice. So uh, tell us about um, kind of what's in store, Red Canary. Sure. You know, what you can share for the last couple of months yeah. this year and beyond. Um, it was a you raised a, a yeah. decent chunk of change back uh, sure. in the spring. Um, so, kind of curious, what what you know growth plans yeah. you all have for the future? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a it's an exciting time for for our business. We've um, yeah, had a great year so far, and, and nothing looks like it's going to slow down the rest of this year. Uh, you know, we're a little different than most kind of venture funded companies that raise money and then kind of immediately start attempting to burn it as fast as possible to get to the next round. Um, we always look at it as uh, raising money to give us more freedom to take a little bit more risk and, and try things that may or may not pan out um, and try to make sure our, our core business is growing and, and, and working efficiently. 
Um, and so that's really what it is for us right now is, is figuring out what are the other dimensions we want to potentially add to this business, whether that's additional product lines or it's, um, you know, maybe it's just growing vertically, you know, inside of our, our same product, um, addition, adding additional features and capabilities that our, our customers need or want. Um, so there's a big product component to it. There's certainly a growth component to the rest of this year and staffing up uh, our team to try to be ready to, to meet our targets for next year. Um, so that's kind of kind of where we're at. And then, you know, as is always true with, with Red Canary, we make sure we uh, are doing a lot for the security community. So making sure there's uh, blogs and open source resources out there that are coming from our teams that address uh, um, you know, issues that we hear from our customers and, and try to be a, a good citizen within the security community. Um, that's something we, we really operationalize and, and live off of day to day. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, we've got lots of uh, expansion to do in terms of our team. It's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we've been very responsible and been pretty lean as a company, and then you hit certain growth curves, and it's like, wow, we just need like ten more people tomorrow, right? <laughs> I feel behind, even though you you're, you you aren't or you weren't yesterday, but you are today, yeah. and uh, and so that's a, a big focus of, of mine is making sure that the teams are in place to support our customers and and go find the the rest um, the, the rest that we want to get to. Um, you know, Red Canary is interesting, I think, too, because we we are not focused on getting to an acquisition. We're not focused on exiting the business. I mentioned early on that coming from that defense background, like you have to be mission oriented, and that's something that you know, Keith, Brian, myself, like we we are and we always will be, is very focused on what our mission is. And, um, hopefully, what we think that'll that'll lead to is is really building a, a generational company and security that lasts for a really long time and. Um, does a lot of great things for its customers over the years. So that's that's what we're focused on, um, not focused on you know getting to an IPO or, or getting mm-hmm. to an exit, mm-hmm. um, and probably never will. If those things come along the way, okay. But um, but for us, it's about single-minded, you know, focus on, on where we're trying to get get to. That's excellent. That's that's really good. I mean, you guys are kicking ass, and it's uh, yeah. you know, great to hear kind of the, the plans going forward. Sure. You mentioned staffing. Uh, I'll give you a chance to do a little free advertising here. Uh, yeah. You've got a number of positions on your do. on your website. Uh, so, bef- you know, if you talk about those, yeah. but also, um, what do you guys look for when you when yeah. you're, when you're you know if anyone's listening that loves sure. loves the brand and yeah, yeah. loves what you guys are doing and uh, you know may have an interest outside of having competencies A B C D and E. Right. Um, you know, where, where do you take chances on people if, if yeah. they may not be perfectly qualified, but they have it, you know, they've done this or yeah. they, they answer questions like this or, yeah. you know, what, what types of things you look for in candidates? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think, you know, obviously like skills are one thing and, and competencies, but uh, for us, like, you know, sound like a little bit of a broken record, but it's really all about that mission oriented mm-hmm. approach, right? And so we want people who are great to work with and, and so fit into our culture and are going to be customer centric. Uh, and focused on, on delivering meaningful outcomes for our customers because that's what, what matters most to us. Uh, and then you know, people who are just driven to, to kind of run through walls and, and uh, you know, don't like to be told that they're, they're not capable of, of X or Y, right? That determination, we call it relentlessness, is, is really the core attribute of, of what makes Red Canary people uh, who they are. Um, we also, across our organization, really like to provide a lot of autonomy, um, not a culture where we're going to micromanage and really uh, get in, in people's knickers. It's a culture where you're expected to take objectives, take results that you're, you're meant to drive and, and kind of go figure it out. Um, not that there's no help, but uh, it's not a, not a situation where people are looking over your shoulders a lot. So that's the other thing we look for is people who can operate pretty autonomously and mm-hmm. um, you know, don't have to be fully self-driving, but, but definitely able to, uh, to work kind of on their own. So that's what it's all about for us. And, um, you know, I could certainly go down the list of what we need, but the reality is, like, we're expanding across all of our teams, looking for great software engineers, great um, site reliability engineers, and folks to keep the, the platform alive. And then on the, the sales and marketing, customer success front, looking for, for great people to come in and kind of be part of our team and bring our, our uh, message to, to uh, you know, the next pile of customers that we bring on, as well as really support and take care of the ones that we have. So. That's great. Yeah, so across the board, if you if you're any skills that you have, bring, bring <laughs> to us. we probably need them at this point. Excellent. Well, look, um, 
really appreciate uh, making the time for us sure. here. Great, uh, great hearing your story, and uh, we look forward to talking with you very soon. Cool. Thanks a lot, Ty. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.